Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 381st edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're coming at you on Voice America Business Channel, broadcasting in this our ninth year right across the world. So let's begin with some shock news. We've been talking about self-driving cars and figuring that they're going to take traffic off the road. Well, new research in Transport Policy magazine suggests that Self-driving cars could actually more than double the volume of vehicle travel to and from and inside the metropolitan areas. That would mean total gridlock. And why is this? Because they're, they're suggesting that because autonomous vehicles have no reason to park close to their destination or even park at all for that matter, they can just stay on the road. So rather than pay for expensive parking in big cities like drivers of normal cars, um, autonomous vehicles can seek out free on-street parking, return home, or they can cruise for hours on end. An argument in favour of um, self-driving cars and ride-sharing is that if people are encouraged to use on-demand services instead of owning cars, the total number of vehicle miles driven would fall. Well, that makes sense. But some research has already contradicted that theory by saying that self-driving vehicles could, in fact, increase the amount of traffic because instead of the cars being parked for a large percentage of the day, they actually stay on the road because it's cheaper, and particularly electric cars. Using game theoretic framework, and I don't have the faintest idea what the hell that means, Adam Millard Ball of the Environmental Studies Department at UC Santa Cruz came up with a demonstration that self-driving cars actually have an incentive to coordinate with each other in order to generate congestion. By doing this, it would save their owners money. I must admit, it sounds like a bloody conspiracy theory, but, you know, Ball's theory is that cruising at low speeds, particularly with electric cars, is not only cheaper per hour than paid parking, but it's cheaper than travelling at any sort of speed. So if AVs drive the same streets, they can purposely slow each other down in order to save money. In other words, Autonomous vehicles looking to kill time while their human owners are off doing who knows what. They'd love nothing more than a little traffic jam that saves them money. Ball predicts that even if just 2,000 self-driving cars deployed in San Francisco slowed down and kept driving all day, overall traffic would slow to two miles an hour. (laughs) Now, rideshare startups have been leaning into micro-mobility game, but many sceptics, including Ball, argue transportation improvements need to come from regulation. And large cities like London, Singapore, Stockholm, etc., impose congestion fees where motorists pay 
you know, you pay a flat rate. I remember last time I was in London, I can't remember what the rate was, but it was bloody high and it does discourage you from driving in the city. And Ball suggests that cities like New York and San Francisco need to implement the same before it's too late. The one problem I see with this is this is assuming that everybody that owns a car now owns a self-driving car. But it seems to me that since we only use our cars a very little bit, that 75% of people wouldn't own a car. So 75% of the cars would be off the road and therefore traffic congestion would be much less. Anyway, I guess time will, will tell. Another piece of interesting news is that Amazon, which is already a behemoth, could actually annihilate both UPS and Federal Express. The US Postal Service, which is USPS, Federal Express and UPS have dominated the domestic logistics industry. In 2016, FedEx estimated that itself, UPS and UPS, SPS, executed a whopping 95% of all e-commerce orders. But rapidly rising volumes have put FedEx and UPS in jeopardy. In the last couple of years, e-commerce sales have ridden, risen only over 50% and they're projected to continue climbing like this into the next decade. If it's anything like our place, we seem to have a box from Amazon delivered round about every 35 seconds. That was my last estimate. <laughs> we get about 10,000 boxes a day. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of effects. Garbage bins are full. Trash bins are full everywhere and they're full of boxes. And um, people like Vizzy must be making an absolute fortune. High, high volumes um, are already straining shippers' networks. UPS struggled to bring consumers their parcels on time over Christmas due to the higher than anticipated package volume. And that upset big name retail partners like Macy's and Walmart and Amazon. You know, it's an, the numbers are extraordinary. Amazon sent 3.3 billion packages worldwide in 2017, with the Postal Service delivering about 33%, UPS about 27%, and FedEx about 12%, and regional carriers and Amazon itself, 28%. Amazon's outbound shipping costs totaled about $12 billion. You think about that. They spent more on shipping than the value of most companies. <laughs> God. As online sales surge further, package volumes will continue to grow and outstrip the legacy company's capacities. And this will either create space for new entries or Amazon will move in and do it themselves. Now, they're uniquely well positioned to dethrone UPS and FedEx's duopoly. It's built up a strong logistics infrastructure, counting hundreds of warehouses and thousands of delivery trucks. Further, as the leading online retailer in the US, it's got a wealth of data on consumers, 
that it can use to craft a personalised delivery experience that's superior to UPS and FedEx. Now, of course, UPS and FedEx are awake wake up to this and they're hard at work trying to fortify their own networks to handle the continuing increase in parcel volume. So Amazon's got to act pretty soon. The longer that Amazon delays the launch of a delivery service, the more it runs the risk that these legacy players will be able to defend their territory. Of course, Amazon doesn't have to give UPS or FedEx their parcels to deliver, and that would screw them anyway, wouldn't it? So Amazon's logistics ambitions began as an effort to get more parcels out the door and fulfil its famous two-day shipping process. And, you know, it'll be an incredible organisation if it builds out that last-mile service. Amazon can carry its trust amongst the public, a wealth of consumer data, and its ability to craft a more personalised delivery experience right up to your door. That would be a major problem for UPS and FedEx. Of course, the only thing that uh, UPS and FedEx can do is to offer substantially lower shipping rates. But one-third of US retailers say they'll switch to Amazon shipping if they do that. If they, if they don't decrease their rates. And, of course, if they decrease their rates, they don't make very much profit. So my book, Amazon's going to win again. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? I hope you do because it's the best newsletter around on business. We've now got about 1.75 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds every day to read. And every day we tackle the different subjects. We talk about medicine, we talk about new apps and new technology, and we talk about Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, cryptocurrency, pretty much any you know, things like um, CRISPR, pretty much anything that is business and topical. For example, tomorrow's newsletter um, talks about no matter how well-founded business plans are, 67% of them fail due to poor execution. So if you want to keep abreast of what's going on in the business world, you must get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. So, And it's really easy to get. You simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. It takes a couple of seconds. Elon Musk announced during the week the Tesla owners will receive a remote update to their software this week, and it might stop children and dogs from overheating in cars. It still amazes me how people can leave children and animals in cars in bloody 100 degree heat it is just beyond comprehension but people do now um, so this new software feature will um, turn on the air conditioning and keep it on and play music and a new security feature which blasts classical music if somebody tries to steal your car will also be updated this week. So try to break into a car, it starts playing Bach or Beethoven loud. So if you're a rapper-type car breaker into her, it'll probably drive you nuts. Now, artificial intelligence, it's, it's a term that describes types of technology that can simulate human intelligence. It's one of the hottest topics across many business sectors. It's making such enormous changes to the way we do business. 
AI techniques teach computers to organise data in a contextual manner to provide requested information, supply analysis, or trigger an event based on its findings. Now, marketers are already leveraging the power of AI to obtain valuable insights about their customers, to automate tasks and improve work- workflows. Just This is surprising. Just over 50% of marketers currently use AI and an additional 27% are expected to incorporate the technology by the end of this year. It represents the highest anticipated year-over-year growth of any technology ever. And it beats out things like the Internet of Things and marketing automation. So um, as the volume of computer-generated data grows, AI computing techniques like machine learning, deep learning and natural language processing will become increasingly important to data-driven decision-making. AI will transform marketers from reactive to proactive planners. The enhanced analytics that AI provides will help marketers more efficiently plan and execute campaigns in three main areas, segmentation, tracking, and keyword tagging. However, the rapid pace of innovation, it's contributing to marketers' sense of unpreparedness for AI implementation and future use cases. People get, you know, people are really nervous. Everything's changing so fast that we worry about whether we're prepared for these changes. And, of course, what we probably don't think of is that everybody around us is going through the same trepidation. When asked to choose which trending technology they feel most unprepared for, 35% of all global marketing executives say that AI is the one thing they're least prepared for. The good thing, while machines will help cut down on production time, humans are needed for the creative input they generate. Now, my guest today is Gabrielle Giancola. He's the co-founder and chief executive officer of Quibi. Really clever. It's a Swiss loyalty token protocol, which helping brands around the world run their loyalty programs on the blockchain. Gabrielle's a great guy, really good to interview, and I'm sure you'll find it extremely interesting. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be at with Gabrielle in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. 
Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Bob Pritchard's Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last seven or eight years, we've given you insights into the lives of over about, I think, 370 or 380 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked to them about what they do why they're different, and what, and we try to find out what makes them tick. Now, only three out of every hundred startup companies are successful, so what is it that those three people do that the other 97% of people don't do? It's extremely difficult to really make your mark in the world today and achieve success because there's just so many challenges and so much competition. And the aim of this segment is to introduce you to people that are involved in interesting and in different roles so that we can find out how they faced their challenges, how they overcame them, and uh, see if we can learn their keys to success. I'm always saying to people out there that you should get mentors. Surround yourself with people that are have been in business, that understand how business works. It's all right to come straight out of college and set up a company, but you really don't understand how the world of business works. I must admit, when I got into international business and started dealing on a global basis, it's quite a shock. It is really very different. My guest today is Gabrielle Giancola. He's the co-founder and chief executive of Kibi, which is Q-I-I-B-E-E. And it's a Swiss loyalty token protocol, which helps brands around the world run their loyalty programs on the blockchain. Now, we've interviewed a lot of people um, in the blockchain area on this show, and uh, but never anybody that's doing anything with loyalty programs. Now, Gabrielle is a serial entrepreneur. He's co-founded multiple companies, including Gratis Auto, which is a Swiss startup focused on mobile outdoor advertising. He's also got a mining farm with around 60 miners. The um, Kiwi was founded in 2015 and builds on strong expertise, existing partnerships and in-depth knowledge of the loyalty sector. It's a blockchain plug-and-play solution supporting businesses and giving them full flexibility to create their own loyalty programs on Kiwi's protocol. Gabrielle, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. Thank you very much, Bob, for the introduction. It's uh, great to be on your show. How did QB get started? Do you have a background in, in loyalty programs? Uh, no, I just used me and my brother, which uh, is, is uh, which co-founded uh, QB. Uh, we just uh, really like to use um, all those different loyalty programs um, from companies, and um, and saw that a big hassle for for not just us but our friends, our family, and, and a lot of other people um, is that you just have a whole bunch of different loyalty programs. You get different points 
you don't know on which program do you have, how many points, um, it's super difficult to redeem them. So the, the, the problem is really that it's difficult, um, let's say, to be loyal to a company today um, in, in, with this kind, of, with this kind of, of programs because you don't, what we think is you don't get the loyalty back. Of course you get something back with a point and everything, but uh, the whole value behind it, it's, it's not so remarkable that you say, you know what, I want to stick with this company or with this program. So um, what we thought um, in 2015 when we started Kiwi was, okay, one huge um, facilitation of the whole process would be if you just have one app where you get rewarded for multiple brands for different interactions. So not just buying, but also maybe making a post, liking, sharing content of the brand or other activities. So um, the idea started really from there and we came to a point where we were talking to bigger and bigger brands um, where we saw, okay, they wanna have their own interface they want to have their own. Um, they want to have their own. Uh, let's say uh, branding and, and and interaction with the customers. So what they were asking us if they actually could have a white label of our solution, and and, and there we, we started to see. Okay, of course we can we can give them the white label solution, but then we have the same problem as before because they will all have their own white labels. Um, it's cool for for those customers, but still. Um, they will have the same problem because they yeah. have to go into different loyalty programs and have different points. Yeah, you so, yeah. Right, and at that point, um, uh, it was also, I have to say, th that situation came up at the same moment as um, uh, as more and more people around those around us, uh, mentor and investors, uh, were, were talking about blockchain technology, about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on. And so we started also to look into that um, into, into that new technology. And what we what we saw was actually that we could use it to, um, let's say, go, let's call it go on the next level. So since we saw that the most people, like if, if you look at who reaches the, the most customers and, and the most people, the, that are really the, the international big brands. So yes. what we thought is, okay, how can we actually bring to the user the same value that we're actually looking for, um, but with their own interface, with their own branding and so on. And what we saw is that if you want to try to connect a lot of different central databases, it is super difficult to, to make them interoperable. Sure. And on the other side, you have the problem that all those brands, they don't really give you a value with those points. They give you a promise that sometime in the next 12, 24 months, you can redeem that point for, I don't know, uh, a free a free ticket, an upgrade, or whatever it is. Yeah. And what we see is that if you actually will give the customers the possibility to exchange those points for each other. So let's say you're a huge Starbucks fan, and I'm a huge Delta fan. But yeah. sometimes you fly Delta, and sometimes I'd like a coffee. It makes a lot of sense if we two can exchange our points. Because in that moment when you want to fly, and in that moment when I want to have a coffee, you actually have the need for my, my points and I have the need for your points. Right. So it makes a lot of sense to, to, to give your customer more options um, on, on, on how to spend those points. Um, because if the more choices, the more options they have, or a customer has, the more engaged he will be with, with a program and at the end of the day with the brand. Um, and more engagement means bringing more revenue to the brand, um, making more word of mouth, engaging more in the sense of social media, 
and 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 then really exposure of the brand. So um, we believe in more options for for the customers to bring more uh, end of the day profit for a brand, and um, and that's why we when we really moved them to blockchain technology and also built this loyalty token protocol where every brand can create easily their own or let's say can tokenize their own points and um, it can make them then exchangeable for other points. Yeah, okay. So loyalty programs are being used for so much more than just loyalty on sales these days, aren't they? Then people use loyalty programs to research new get feedback on new products to research the marketplace to get more um, information on customers. There's a whole bunch of ways that companies use loyalty programs and people in loyalty programs these days. So do you, you combine all of that on on Kiwi? So you have to imagine, you have to imagine the whole um, interface, so meaning also which data you get from your customers um, that is all on the brand part. What we help out the brands is really to put their points on a blockchain and to right. make them interchangeable with others. Right. So th- th- that is also the, the good, let's say the cool thing for a brand. They have a lot, a lot of control. Or yeah. let's say they have the whole control in their hand. It's really facilitating them the, the, the process to create their own token and having some conditions which, for example, they, a brand, an international brand doesn't want to think about um, my token can be listed on exchange, and then I have to think about um, demand and supply on the market. I have to think about market making and all the stuff sure. that is connected to having a token listed. So, um, let's say there are a few preconditions when you create a loyalty token, and um, and that is actually, let's say, the the, the, the magic behind it that you, um, with a let's call it with a click, uh, you can create your own your own loyalty token, and. Um, <clears throat> That is that is what we're actually facilitating for those brands. Okay, how did how did the word <laughs> Kiwi Q I I B E E? How the hell did that come about? You wake up at two o'clock one morning and go, "Aha! I'm going to call this Kiwi." Brainstorm. Right. <laughs> that wasn't how. It no, was. it was actually it was actually uh, it, it was a bit a mix of um, of uh, like having those flash ideas. And, and then brainstorming and really thinking about with it uh, with a structured way uh, or in a structured way and um, the, the main idea came really from the bee from the animal bee because uh, we all know that it is essential for for the world without bees um, there won't be any 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 humanity in a in a in a in a worst case That's and um, if, if you look if you look at companies it's the same thing so if they don't have any customers, they won't they won't exist. And um, and so what we saw is that actually you have that uh, that parallel between a bee and between a customer. Um, and the key comes really from um, from the from the chi from the energy. Uh, now the idea of energy bee is really comes from that the more as I told you before the more engaged a customer is the more energetic at the end of the day he will be and the more um, he will he will interact with your brand. So um, the idea came from there. Then the word itself or how, how you write it came then um, also from, as I told you before, in a structured way, meaning we looked up which domains are still avail- available with that phonetics. Um, and there we had like 40 different, uh, 40 different um, options, how you wrote, how you write Kibi. And we really looked for all the domains 
And I mean, nowadays it's, or also a few years ago, it wasn't that easy um, to to just pick up a name and then and then you have that domain because a lot of domains are just uh, are just sold out. Yeah, it's almost impossible. I, I was reading an article not long ago that was written by Harvard, I think, that said that there's every name that we recognise in the English language is taken. There are none, yeah. and that's why the um, the drug companies you you'll find a new drug on the market and it's the name is X, Y, Z, Z, Y, something or another. And um, almost unpronounceable words. Well, they, um, they have algorithms that make up new words that sound good that they think people will relate to. <laughs> what amazing. So why, what's the advantage of using the blockchain? I mean, without the blockchain, why would it be different? So you have actually, let's say, three main reasons. Two um, are really based on, on, on blockchain technology. One of them is more connected to the whole cryptocurrency part of the space. Sure. Um, the, two, the, two, um, the two, let's call it benefits, um, of using blockchain technology for the loyalty space is really the first one is those points are not anymore in a database which can be attacked internally or externally but are in a blockchain. Secure, yep. Meaning you as a customer, you don't have to worry about points are getting manipulated. You don't have to worry about points are getting lost. You don't have to worry about points are getting miscalculated or stuff like that. Right. And there were a lot of cases where you saw that um, companies really um, <clears throat> messed up that process and they had to recalculate the, the points of the customers. They had to maybe give more points to the customer because they were hacked. Um, so, that is one huge benefit which you as a company and as a customer have. You have much yeah. higher security. Yeah. Um, second, as I told you before, it would be impossible to make all those central databases if you would have all the points from all the companies on their databases and you want to make them interoperable, it would be an impossible task. With blockchain technology, you just store all the points on the same blockchain Yes. and there is no, really, there is no problem to exchanging them. So the whole exchangeability part is really only possible because of blockchain technology. And and then you have the third part, uh, which is connected to the whole cryptocurrency aspect, which is since all those loyalty tokens, so all those tokenized points are backed by the Kiwi token, um, you as a customer, you get something that actually has a liquidity and actually has a secondary market, so has a value on the market. Right. Now, we, we made, with one of our partners, we made a small survey with around 2,000 people and asked them, what do you prefer? $10 in cash or $10 worth, um, a lottery ticket worth $10? 84 percent of the people said they want to have the lottery ticket. Why? Because as soon as the amount that you get is so small, yep. you are much more, much more um, incentivized to gamble with it. Because you get something for free it is not a huge amount, so it doesn't change your financial situation. Yeah. And what happens? You're much more prone to gamble. Yeah, I understand. If, if, if you do the same question with 10K, you can be sure that 99% of the people um, will say, I prefer the 10K, because that changes most of the people's financial situation. Yeah. And, and, and that's why there you see that there, there is a much higher incentive to be engaged in such, uh, let's say, in such a program where you get an upset potential 
um, rather than having some points where you know the value is really small, you have to earn your life until you get an upgrade. Um, and, and so that's 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 the third part of it. Yeah. Yeah, pain in the ass. I know. Um, so you obviously have um, great faith in the future of crypto. I would say. Uh, which I have a great faith in blockchain technology, in crypto, in cryptocurrency, or let's say in the whole crypto market too. Yes, um, I believe that um, at least that it needs some time to to get to a certain, let's say, um, stable version of it or yeah. mature version of it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I got in early into crypto, and um, so I've done very well, but. Um, I've got to say, I'm doing a lot less well today than I was a year ago. <laughs> I can imagine that. I can imagine that one. <laughs> um, so, I mean, blockchain is revolutionising almost every business. I mean, the stock exchanges now are going into blockchain. All the insurance companies, the banks, just about everybody is going into blockchain technology. Um, so, are you the first? Are you the only guys in loyalty programs? using the blockchain I haven't heard of anybody else so there are a few other um, companies working in the uh, loyalty blockchain space they most of most of them they focus on building one let's say what we had what we built in 2015 on the blockchain right. so uh, an application where you get incentivized from um, from different brands with one token um, what I told you before we don't like we don't believe we made our experience on the field that we saw, okay, as soon as you get to a certain um, size of the brand, uh, it's super difficult to sell them, to sell them your own application. Sure. Uh, I, I mean, if you have millions of customers, yeah, it works. But that they will that they will use your loyalty program forever, that's 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 another question. And, and that's why um, what, we, what we build on a completely different layer and, and, and let's say are below the whole application um, we don't want to. We don't want to work on the application itself. So the the brand builds their own interface. They build their own program. They reward how they want to reward their customer. They have the whole control of the loyalty program. What they just use our technology for is to create their loyalty token and to really make those two transactions reward and redemption onto the blockchain without have having to think about blockchain technology and smart contracts and solidity and and everything that is connected to. Um, creating something on the blockchain. So if, if I've got a loyalty program with um, um, United Airlines, for example, and I get points, do I, do you simply switch those points for tokens? Is that the way that so, works? Um, right. So if, you, if United would, um, would use our, our technology, what yep. they would do, um, let's say they have 1 billion outstanding points, um, they would start. Uh, they would start communicating to their customer. Hey, we're um, we're changing from uh, from normal points to. Uh, uh, I mean, they wouldn't say we're changing from points to loyalty tokens. They would say we're changing from United points to United coins, for example, um, to make it let's say a bit, a bit more sexy. Um, and and then they would explain uh, the customer that actually. They can, for example, exchange now those those coins for um, for other coins. Um, they would communicate to the customer, "Hey, now you have um, you have actually a real value behind it, which can go up and down." 
Um, so they, they will do the whole communication behind it. And there, of course, um, you have to imagine it like that. It's not that 100% of those customers that have points are still active on your program. So you're not going there and you're changing 100% of the points, but you're really going there and you're changing there the, the points, two coins, um, where the users are active. Yeah, but I find it's interesting because um, in, in America, for example, um, you see very few businesses that will take Bitcoin, for example. Um, in fact, I don't think I've seen any. But mm-hmm. I was in Moscow a couple of weeks ago, and you can use Bitcoins in florists, in delicatessens, in all sorts of different businesses. And yet here in the States, um, there's less. So are people much more aware and understanding of tokens and coins in Europe than they are in the United States and perhaps Um, North America in general? I wouldn't even say in Europe. Um, To be honest, what I I think is it's it's a bit the same thing as with entrepreneurship. You see um, the highest uh, density of entrepreneurs also like single man entrepreneurs um, in, 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 third, uh, in third world countries. Because where you have the need to be creative and to change to something that is not standard, yeah. um, there you have the, the highest use of, of, of let's say, um, alternative, uh, alternative, let's call them tools. And the same thing, I, I, I have the feeling with Bitcoin. So um, I'm in Switzerland, for example. And, here in Switzerland, everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. Everyone believes in the Swiss franc. Of course, it's a super strong currency. Yeah. So why should we have the need, if not we want to speculate, to buy the Bitcoin? Yeah. Because it is so. it has so much more volatility than the Swiss franc that there is no need for me as a store of value to put my money, my Swiss franc, into the Bitcoin. Yeah. But if I'm living in Venezuela, if I'm living in Russia, if you're living in Argentina or in Africa, yeah. man, I'm so happy that there is a Bitcoin actually. That's right. That's true. You I know what I mean? And, and and that's and that's and that's and that's what I think it's it's a huge it's it's a huge huge potential and I believe that we are not seeing that much activity in Europe or or in, in North America or let's say in, in more developed countries just because the need is not yet here. And it's it's, so, it's hard for yeah. people hard for people to wrap their mind around the fact that um, you know if I, if I've got ten thousand dollars in US dollars I can actually pick it up and hold it and put it in my pocket. If I've got ten thousand dollars in Bitcoin, it's sitting on some exchange somewhere that I need right. a forty three number code to get into. And if I lose my code, I lose my money. Um, that's pretty hard for most people to wrap their mind around. Do you think? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But but that's why you know that's why you have more activity in these other countries because yeah. there if you don't even get a bank account of, sure. or if you earn today hundred and uh, tomorrow it's only worth seventy yeah. you think twice about to put that forty forty alphanumerical number uh, in your in your account and, and to do that hassle because um, you have completely different needs in that moment. And you're completely right. With you, with the U.S. dollar, you don't have that problem. You don't have that need. Well, not yet. 
<laughs> right, yeah, right. That's why I also said before, not yet, because you never know what happens. You really never know what happens. And maybe you were happy that you had some stuff in, in Bitcoin. How, how are you in, incentivizing customers with crypto rewards that you don't do or can't do or not as appealing as it is um, with traditional reward structure? I think I think the most accurate answer um, is, is really the, the let's say the the behavioral perspective which I gave you before with the survey because um, it, it's really about that let's call it psychological trick. As soon as the amount is low enough, you're much much more keen to gamble. If yeah. I give you one dollar and and then I tell you, look, bet with that dollar on A or B, you don't think twice about betting. If I give you a thousand bucks, you see twice about maybe maybe with thousand bucks I can do a weekend yeah. with my wife. Yeah, or girlfriend. So it has much more value. Yeah, or girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the the thing is really that that those points that you get from a loyalty program, the value of it is so low. Yeah, sure. That you as a customer, if you have actually an upside potential, you're much more happy to get them because. I mean, think about think about the let's say the family that flies twice a year. Yeah, they enroll in a program just because they saw the ad. You get ten thousand points if you register today. Okay, now they register. They make their first flight. Everything cool. They get their points. They see we can get anything with them. They make the second flight. <laughs> they still see we can get anything with it. And I mean, if you fly with a family, you won't do the upgrade just for the dad or for the mom in business and the rest of the family stays in economy. So it's like for that kind of a customer. And, and the thing is that frequent flyers maybe make up, I don't know, five, 10 percent of 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 a, of, a, of a airline. Um, if you think about the other 95 percent, they don't really have a value out of those loyalty programs. Yeah. And there we say, hey, there you can do much more as a company. You can do much, much more as a company. If you give them just a bit more of options, they will be so engaged and so loyal to you that you will really see it in your KPIs, revenue, and profit. Yeah, and, and, um, instead of just looking at your points, you can look at the value of um, Kiwi, for example, on the market, and you can be um, you can be making money without even flying. Where if you've just got a normal frequent flyer program, you're screwed if you don't fly. Right, right, right. So that's, I think that that is a huge, a huge, um, let's say change in, in the whole, in the whole um, loyalty factor. Uh, it, like it is, I, I would say we're, we're trying to put a new standard for the loyalty market. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as it is, as it is not just, creating an app or a website and you want to push it and you want to get users, but putting a new standard for a whole industry, which is huge and which is there for tens of years, um, it is something big and it needs time. But I really believe that in the next five, ten years, we will see that that new standard. Uh, I agree. I hope, that, I hope that Kiwi is at the forefront. And <laughs> yeah, the I, well, I hope so too. <laughs> so... If, if I'm sitting out there listening to this show and I have my business has got a loyalty program, um, should they talk to you guys? I mean, should all brands tokenize their loyalty offerings, or does it suit some types of programs better than others, or some some types of industries better than others? Uh, to be honest, right now we're 
pretty open to talk as with as many brands from as various, uh, let's say, sectors as possible because um, the idea is to learn as much as possible right now. The, the whole industry blockchain is, is very, very young. Then you have loyalty in the blockchain, which is even younger. Yep. And um, so you, you need, to, I believe if, we, if you would focus now on ABC sector, uh, we would waste a lot of potential and maybe um, go behind the wrong sectors. Sure. Because the thing is that we never, let's say, did it in, in our lives to bring loyalty in the blockchain. I mean, we did it for, for the past uh, now maybe 24 months, um, but you don't have the, the same age as the loyalty market itself where you have completely um, standardized processes and, and, and to, to break those processes and to, and to make them more efficient, uh, I mean, it is a change as it is always. Um, change brings a lot of, let's say, chaos at the beginning and, and then, then you have a phase where, where everything calms down and then you have the new standard. So. Uh, I believe we're, we're before the chaos. <laughs> uh, there will be a few years of chaos, then it will calm down, and then I would say um, in ten years we will have uh, we will have seven to ten years we will have really that new standard. But the next few years will be not only for loyalty on the blockchain, but for everything that you want to build on the blockchain. It will be a lot of change, and that's why also chaos in a certain sense. It's going to be a very chaotic world for the next few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We keep hearing, and I've seen some evidence of this, that um, the younger generation, the millennials and younger, they have no loyalty to anybody, you know, and I don't necessarily believe that, but we keep hearing it. Um, so do you have any evidence that tokenizing loyalty programs will appeal to the newer generations that seem to have a whole different um, attitude to loyalty? Um, yes. Uh, maybe not in, 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 a, in a direct way uh, because the thing is following. The, the new generation, um, I mean, I have a younger brother which is 20, so I, I really know, um, uh, I know, I know what it means uh, <laughs> dealing with the new generation. Um, or me and my, we are three brothers actually, co-founder of Kiwi, um, Gianluca and myself. And then our younger brother, which is 20. And when we look at him and how he deals with situations, how he acts with friends, how he also, um, let's say, uh, gets incentivized on, a, on an offer or, or on a product, um, it's a completely different decision-making because they're used to much faster decisions and they're used to getting much more information in a, in a small amount of time. Sure. I mean, that is that is one, one huge one huge difference that brands need to face. They have so many more options in front of them and they need to decide much faster. So you as a brand need to convince much faster. And loyalty is still super important because the harder it gets to get your customer, the more happy you are to have him as a loyal customer. And the more rewarding um, because then you don't Right. Right, and, and because you don't have to worry about that revenue to go away um, to competitor, for example. So, how do you want to do that with, with the younger generation? You can't change them. You won't change their behavior sure. because they're built like that. So that is not an option. Now, what can you do? You can just adapt to the whole situation. So that's why I'm telling you: give the customers more options, and they will be more engaged. The, yep. the, the, the same thing works perfectly with the younger generation. If they have 
if they have more options with their points, they will be much happier because they're used to having a lot of options. Yes. Yeah. And only because of that, they will start engage with you. If you cl- if you restrict them, if you close their options down, that's not what they want to see. Got it. So, where's KB in the last in the next five years? Where do you expect to be in five years? Where do I expect to be in five years? Um, I would say that uh, there we will start seeing um, in, in in which direction uh, in which direction the new standard is is, is going and and how our vision is uh, is uh, let's say starting to form because um, over the next few years we want to get as many brands as possible on 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 our protocol and of course develop our product more and more and more um, so the idea when I see out in five years I see a lot. Of uh, international and national brands yep. having their loyalty program on Kibi, and um, millions of customers uh, using their loyalty tokens, exchanging their loyalty token, and really having uh, much more value out of out of their out of their let's say um, commercial life. Let's call it like that. So okay. I, I believe that there we will see really the the ecosystem um, formed and 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 ready to to scale. Um, over the next then five to ten years, so um, that we can reach our vision. My bet is that you'll be bought out by Amazon. Um, Gabriel, <laughs> thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now you can learn more about Gabriel and Kibi. It's Q I I B E E, and you can find out more about them by visiting Kibi Q U I Q I I B E E dot And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network right after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network. I'd like to do a quick shout out to the uh, people who attended the swap reunion convention last weekend and uh, I'm proud to admit that out of 38 speakers I was the highest voted speaker I was talking about disruption and uh, how to prepare for the disruptive future and uh, it went very well and I'd like to thank all the attendees for giving me that vote now no matter how well formulated business plans and strategies are 67% of them fail, and that's because of poor executions. Now, many companies build really good strategies but just can't follow through. 80% of leaders believe that they're good at crafting strategy, but only 44% have confidence in its implementation. Now, to execute strategic plans effectively, today's business leaders, you've got to have the foresight to outline a well-structured strategy and work towards achieving an alignment with everyone in the organisation, and this is where a lot of it falls down. 
The key reasons that most companies are unable to follow through with their strategic plans are firstly, lack of strategic focus. Companies set unrealistic goals and they lack a clear focus on their goals and objectives. And without a strategic focus, there's no way you can measure success or growth. And you waste time and you waste resources. According to Gartner, 56% of time spent on strategic planning is wasted. So first, understand your organisation's strategic purpose by creating a single-page view of your external and internal opportunities and challenges. That's a must. The second reason that strategies fail is poor communication. Unless all your employees can point out your organisation's core goals and objectives, they're unsure about what you're trying to achieve, and if they're unsure then they're not going to be able to deliver it. And the reality is that 95% of employees do not understand their organisation's strategy or its objectives. 95%. How the hell can you succeed with that sort of a number? So what you need to do is outline your strategic plans and decisions in an easy-to-share one-pager with your team. Third reason that people fail with strategic plans is they forget to manage business as usual. You know, they deviate too much from their existing business initiatives and that's a big mistake. You've got to consider and acknowledge your existing business efforts and their role in that overall strategy. Now, if you're going to deviate a bit, you must take these into account because that's where people are working towards. Or, or, you know, ideally you need to include your existing programs with your strategic plan. Determine what goals coincide and establish clear timelines to measure the success of your new and your existing initiatives. The next reason that um, business strategies fail on implementation is lack of alignment. Now, more than 60% of organisations don't link their strategic goals and objectives with their budget. So it's got to be tied to the budget so you need strategic alignment in the organisation. Today, 20% of staff resist implementation initiatives no matter what they are. And if your employees are not 100% on board, they will not be able to execute your plans properly. So achieving alignment with all the critical stakeholders provides a clear picture for everybody and therefore you're much more likely to be able to deal with critical problems and issues. And the final reason that... um, business strategies don't succeed is you don't celebrate the wins. You know, you must track and measure success and you must enthuse people and you must feel make them feel like that they're achieving. So it's crucial for organisations to celebrate wins, no matter how small that success is. And this gives the team satisfaction and shows that they're inching closer to where they need to be. It also reinforces alignment on important goals and focuses people on the next step along the way. So by celebrating successes along the way, you highlight the importance of strategy and its execution right across the organisation. So everybody's enthused and eager to go and face the next challenge. Now remember, If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. 
get out of the way. Let somebody who wants to achieve get on past. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. That's easy. If you want to be successful, you've got to try and do the impossible. It's amazing that what you think is impossible may not be. And if you're always trying to be normal, you're always going to be boring. You know, do you like boring people? You go to a party, do you like boring people? Nobody likes bloody boring people. So if you're going to try and be normal, you're always going to be boring and you're going to be one of those people that nobody likes. But if you go and push the envelope, you'll never know how amazing that you can, you'll know how amazing you can be, which you won't do if you don't. Now, I hope you're going to join me again next Tuesday and I'll be broadcasting from our studios in Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where entertainment meets entrepreneurship. And in the meanwhile, I hope you have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success, failure, really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.